0: Our Lord and God, we come before you in Jesus' name. We praise you, we honor you, we glorify you. And Lord, I especially pray for the help of your Holy Spirit this morning. As I know that I am out of my depths, that the subject that we will be discussing this morning is too grand for my my puny, finite mind to understand. Lord, help me. Help us as we together paddle our boats into the the depths of the, the mysteries of God. Help us, Lord. Give us attentive minds and listening ears. Although we may not be able to fully comprehend, let us By your grace, apprehend the truth that you have revealed to us in natural and special revelation. We ask that in all these things you would be glorified. And I do decrease so that you can increase. I do become less so that you alone can become more. Father, help your people. Help them not to see me or hear hear me, but see you and hear you. Be glorified, Jesus Christ spirit enable all of these things we ask them for the glory of god and for our good amen well again good morning we i greet you in the name of the lord welcome you on this lord's day as we continue our series that we began last week through the book of genesis chapters 1 through 3 the title of the series called first things Last week, we began our series with a a broad introduction to the form and function of the book of Genesis. The form and function of the book of Genesis. In that sermon, we discussed how Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-3 is a wonderfully decorated gateway that leads us into the rest of God's holy word. We learned that The form of this book is not random, but that the form or structure of the book is completely intentional. The structure form is completely intentional. The book of Genesis is not a random collection of the stories of notable men and women. But the book of Genesis is a Holy Spirit inspired book that traces the paths, if you remember from last week, the paths of two seeds. Traces the paths of two seeds. That is, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. You may have w- wondered last week, what is this talk of two seeds? What? Where is this two seeds? We get the idea of the two seeds in the book of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity... Between you and the woman, between your offspring or seed and her offspring or seed, he, that seed, shall bruise your head, speaking to the serpent, and you, serpent, shall strike his heel. So the book of Genesis is following the path, paths of these two seeds. It is the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent or the city of men and the city of God. The book of Genesis, again, following these two paths, we learned that the book of Genesis was written to spiritually weak Hebrews after the exodus from Egypt and before their entry into the promised land of Canaan. The Lord God heard the cries of his people and sent his servant Moses to free them from their oppression in Egypt. These people were a spiritually weak And ignorant people. They had little to no knowledge of their God. Little to no knowledge of their rich ancestry. And it showed in the way that they behaved after God had freed them from their oppression. Making idols that they worshipped. And saying to these idols, these idols have brought you out of Egypt. The book of Genesis, therefore, is saying to the Israelites and saying to all people. Behold your God. God reveals himself not only as their liberator, not only as their creator, but God also reveals himself as the creator, the creator of all things. That is how God reveals himself in the book of Genesis. As these Israelites better knew the God who is the creator of all, they also would in turn, Gain a better understanding of who they were and why they have been created by God. And the same is true for us, brothers and sisters. As we launch out into the depths of God's word in the book of Genesis, may we too gain a better, clearer, more grand picture of our God. And may we also, with the help of the Holy Spirit, better understand ourselves... In light of these wonderful truths, I failed to mention this last week, and I do thank Pastor Zay for bringing this to my attention. Was the book of Genesis only written to inform the Jews of their God and of their rich ancestry? Was it only for Jews alone? Or, to take from last week's point, is the form, function of the book of Genesis, only to inform spiritually weak and wayward Jews of the God of creation. And to show only the Jews, the the rich ancestry. Is it only for them? The answer to that, as I can see some of your heads shaking, is no. It is not only for them. It is for us as well. Because are we not benefiting from it? Absolutely. He is not just the God of the Jews. He is the God of all Creation, or he is the, the God who created all things, right? So the function of the book of Genesis is not just directed toward one specific people, but it is, it is directed toward the people of God, and it is directed toward all people so that all people may know who has created all things. The other purpose of the book of Genesis was also to continue the point that we just made, was to follow the path or follow the, the line of the seed of the woman. To follow the line of the seed of the woman. Who is the seed of the woman? The one who would crush the head of the serpent or the skull crushing seed of the serpent. Who is this? Good son. Question. Did Moses even know who it was as Moses penned these words? Did Moses even have an idea Of who this seed was when he was writing in the beginning, and he shall crush your head. No, he did not. J.D. Fesco brings out in his book, uh, Last Things First, even Moses could not and did not understand the depths of what Genesis 3.15, the verse that we just read, what it meant. And yet, he was inspired to write it, and he also believed it. As do we. As do we, the book of Genesis then, and every other book in the book of the Bible, in the Bible, every book has a particular focus. It is pointing toward or toward that seed. And, and then it is pointing back toward the seed who came. And then it is pointing again forward to the seed who will come. That is the the, the scope of Scripture, the focus of Scripture, pointing to the seed of the woman who is our Redeemer. Who is that seed? Brothers and sisters, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not just for the Jews, but he is for every person that will forsake their own righteousness. And trust in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, as we return to the book of Genesis, we are going to launch out from last week's introduction and paddle our boats. And we're going to continue to use this analogy. Paddle our boats away from the shore as we explain the deeper waters of Genesis chapter one, verse number one. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is God's word. Please be seated. I have no idea why you're laughing. Brothers and sisters, as we begin, I must confess once again that that I am and we are. I am out of my depths. We are out of our depths as we are exploring this verse alone. They are far too lofty, far too grand for us to understand. So I pray that it is with great humility and great reverence that we listen and that we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to handle his word with great care. Dear ones, have you ever been asked the question... Or have you ever asked the question to yourself, where did God come from? Have you ever asked the question, or have you ever been asked the question, where did God come from? If all things have a beginning, then when did God begin to begin? Brothers and sisters, There's a problem with that question. There's a a huge problem with that question. And hopefully you've already spotted the problem with that question. I will say to you that although it may seem like a, a reasonable question, it may seem like a logical question. The question itself is not a logical question. Not a logical question. How is this not a logical question? Young ones, little ones here. Have you ever asked mommy or daddy, or thought to yourself, as mommy and daddy have, where did God come from? Who made God? Well, today, we are going to show you, and all of us, why maybe that's not the best question. We'll we'll discover why that that is an illogical question in just a moment. In Genesis 1-1, we are confronted with the Creator and His creation. As we read the first words of God's holy word, we are confronted with the reality that God is the creator and we are his creation. God being the creator is other than, listen close, other than or separate from creation. God is uncreated. He is the creator. Uncreated. He is the creator. We begin here. We begin here because ontology grounds epistemology. What did he just say? It means this. Ontology is the study of being or existence. The study of, of existence. Epistemology is the study of knowledge. So what are we saying? We are saying, therefore, existence grounds knowledge. Or we know what we know because there is an objective world around us. Objective world meaning this. There is a world that surrounds us that is real. And we know that the world is real. It's it's an objective world. Let's take that a step further. We can know things about the world because those things in the world actually exist. Let's take it a step further. You're sitting on a chair. How do you know it's a chair? Because you're sitting and you haven't fallen. You're sitting on a chair. There is something in most of your laps. It's a book. How do you know it's a book? Because it's bound together in such a way that you understand and know it's a book. So we've taken a lofty objective world, we've taken a, a lofty epistemology and ontology and broke it down to you can know that things are real simply because you can observe them and understand what they are and what they're used for. This is where we begin. Because it is real, you understand it. Because it is true, you understand it. This is a very basic understanding or meaning of objective world. Why don't we know? Oh, I'm sorry, little ones. Why don't we know anything about the Easter Bunny? Where did he come from? Where does he live right now? What's he doing right now? I mean, does he just sleep until next year? We don't know any of these questions or any of the answers to any of these questions because, sorry, son, he's not real. He didn't hear that. So we don't have any, any information about that objective world of the Easter Bunny because, yes, I, I can't say it. I will be in big trouble later. But do you know what I because it's not there right there is a world around us an objective creation which is the ground for saying there can be knowledge about this creation so therefore let's get into our subject for today the creator's existence and independence the creator's existence and independence or independence you can say aseity aseity of god As we begin the discussion, again, about the Creator's existence, we are not arguing that God exists. So if you're coming today and you're thinking, we're going to give all the reasons why God does exist, not doing that. Instead, we believe that the Bible clearly teaches that God does exist. We believe that all of creation is evidence of the fact that God does exist. We believe that Jesus Christ, His life, death, resurrection, and ascension is all evidence pointing to... The existence of God. So we are not spending time arguing for the existence of God. Rather, we are presupposing that God exists. We are assuming that God exists and we are seeking to apprehend the existence of God. All right? Not prove the existence of God. So then, what is the Creator's existence? What is it like? Again, We are out of our depths to even start here and go here, but we will. First point, God does not exist in the way that we know existence. God does not exist in the way that we know existence. God does not exist in the way that we know existence. How does that sound At, at first hearing? God does not exist the way that We know existence. What was the question that we began with at the outset of the sermon? It was this. Have you ever been asked or have you ever asked yourself, where did God come from? Or or again, simply as our little ones may ask us at one point or another, who made God? Who made God? It may seem reasonable. It may seem like a logical question, but the problem with that question, the reason why it is illogical is because of the person who is asking it. The reason why that question is an illogical question is because of who it's coming from. Meaning what? We only understand the world. We only understand all things from a particular, a a certain perspective. And what is that perspective from the perspective of a created being? You and I only know things in terms of a person who has been created. What does that mean? You and I have been created. Therefore, we only understand the world in the sense of beginning and ending. When you came here today, you understood we began at 10 o'clock most of the time. You understand that we end around 1130. Most of the time, right? You, you think about your day, how, what you will do in the beginning and what you will do in the end and what you will do in between. That's your life. You don't know anything other than this day will end and I will have to do something tomorrow as well. You're caught in time. You're caught in space. You and I only know existence as far as past, present and future. We don't understand life without a past, present, and future. Think about that. Think about the language that you use on a daily basis. Think about what you most often say to one another when you see one another. Hello, how are circle R if you take, how are you? Meaning, how are you presently doing in your present state? Are you well? Are you full? Are you tired? Are you hungry? Are you, I said tired, but I'll say it again. Are you sleepy? Are you mad? Are you happy? That's all you know. That's the existence that you and I know. I think about another one. Uh, how are, what are you doing Later. Depends on what's happening later. Depends on what's going on later. I, I'm just trying to help you to understand your existence exists. You exist on those terms. You exist in those ways. You only understand life in those ways. Sick, well, happy, sad, full, content, hungry, etc., etc., Now, think about this. You all smile at all of those things because you recognize them and know them well. Now, think about this. God does not exist on any one of those levels. Everything, everything that you and I know about existence is not so for God. And yet God does exist, but not like you and I. That is blowing my mind. I don't know about you. Ways that are completely normal for understand as finite created creatures are not the same for God. God is infinite, He is incomprehensible. We cannot understand Him because of our creaturely limitations. Creaturely, we are created beings, therefore, we have creaturely limitations. When we try to explain the Creator's existence, we will constantly be running into wall after wall because we only understand life and existence from the creature perspective. And yet, let this truth be the marvel of your meditations on this Lord's Day. That God has accommodated Himself to us. Why? So that we might be able to, to understand certain things about him. Everything I just said, everything I just said about how we exist, we have said God doesn't exist anything like that, and yet God has accommodated himself. He has made himself known to us. We don't know God as he is within himself. We only know God through his, through his energies. Or through his workings, the things that he does within creation and within time. Namely, as he reveals himself in special and natural revelation. Natural revelation being the things that we see in all of creation. God has revealed himself in that way. And special revelation being he has revealed himself to us. Where? In his word. And, and how else? Through his son. The God who is so grand, so beyond us, has accommodated to his creation so that we might at least know something about him. And he shows us himself in creation. And then he reveals his heart and his mind and his will and his son in his word. And then he makes the ultimate accommodation in humiliating himself in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonder, what a wonder to see God as he completely is. It'll be impossible. The theologians used to say they are mad who seek to discover God in the nude. There is no way that we could see God completely in his essence. There is no way we cannot see or fully understand God. As he is completely unveiled. We can only behold him as he's revealed himself to us and as he accommodates himself to us in in language that we can understand. Can you imagine if, if God actually tried to speak to you in the way that he actually communicates in the high lofty way that he. can? We would not be able to understand a word of it and yet. He understands our creaturely being and he writes to us in ways that we can understand. God in his love, in his mercy, has chosen to reveal himself to us, to accommodate himself to us, to his creation so that we might somehow know him and be joined to him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Calvin and his Institutes, chapter 1 or, or Book 1, Chapter 13, Section 1 says this For who is so devoid of intellect as not to understand that God, in so speaking, lisp with us as nurses, are wont to do with little children? How do you speak to babies? <laughs> <laughs> and what do they do? They smile. They understand you and you are speaking gibberish to them. You're speaking nothings to them. Can you imagine if you try to say what I'm saying today or read that to them? They might cry. They might think you're upset with them. And yet God does to us what we do to little infants just so that we can get the picture. That's not even the half of it, but just so that we can get the picture of how God communicates to us. And what do we do? We smile. We laugh. We understand. How beautiful is that? And Calvin goes on, such modes of expression, therefore... Listen to what he says. Do not so much express what kind of being God is not even close as accommodate the knowledge of him in our feebleness. In doing so, he must, of course, stoop far below his proper height. What do you do when you go to speak to a little one? You bend down, you come to their level to accommodate to them. So that you might show them that you are loving toward them. You stand over them. And you speak with a stern voice. And you speak in words that they can't understand. They will run from you. So God comes down. And he speaks in ways that we can understand. So that we might be drawn to him. What an amazing God we have. Though we will never fully comprehend He accommodates himself to us. He stoops far down below his proper place so that he might know his or that so his people might know him. What a wonderful God we have. God does not exist in the way that we know existence. His existence is completely foreign to us. God has creator being. We have creaturely being. Let's take a a step further into this, shall we? God exists, number point two, God exists independently. Or you could say, aseity of God, aseity of God. And you'll you'll see how that's spelled in just a moment. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think about this, guys, if you can. And we can't, but we'll try. There was nothing in all of creation. And then there was something. The only way, and it is the the worst way, but it's the only way that we can explain this in our creaturely understanding. You lay down. There is no food when you go to sleep. You wake up to the smell and to the aroma of whatever mama or daddy is cooking. And you come into the kitchen and there is food. It's the worst explanation, but I was hungry at the time that I was studying that, or studying. <laughs> and that's the best that I could come up with. There was nothing, and then there was something. Before there was anything, that is anything. Now listen, now now imagine this, if you can. Before there was anything that is anything, there was God. Now, here's what we must, we must, we must not allow ourselves to do. We must not allow ourselves to conclude that there was existence as we know it, but it was simply empty and God was also there. That's not the case. When we read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a creation that happens. The earth is not just hanging out there. And then God says, you know what? Let me do something with that. Just there might as well. There was nothing, nothing, not at all. It means that God existed and exists outside of creation. And then he brought all things into being. He brought existence into existence. Do you get that? Me either. (laughs) The spiritual realm of the heavens And the visual realm of our universe are all a part of creation. God created the heavens and the earth. Let me see if you're thinking with me. Where was God before all things were created? If you say heaven, you've just made a mistake if you say that. God created heaven. Heaven is not co-eternal with God. If heaven was co-eternal with God, then heaven is also God. God created heaven and the earth. Can you imagine that? God creates the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens. God did not create the heavens and then the earth around himself. Trapping himself within creation. God exists outside of creation. There was nothing preeminent before God or with God. Or pre existent with God or before God. And if you can imagine this, there was not even existence as we know existence before God. Isn't it isn't it hard for us to even as I'm speaking, it's hard for for us to even fathom this. The language is, is so hard for us to even comprehend. And listen, I know what you're feeling. I feel it now as I preach. This is difficult. This is hard. But you must think of all that you know about existence, all that you know about being and completely forget it and completely forget it. God exists outside of creation. Herman Bobbing says this, if only one single particle, you see them sometimes floating around. If only one single particle were not created out of nothing, God would not be God. Can you imagine a world where there are no particles? Nothing. Can you imagine a world that, that is not a world? Particles don't just float. They come with the world. And God makes them as a part of the world. What's the function? What, what is the purpose of particles floating? To keep you busy dusting? See so them? not lazy? What's the purpose of it? I don't know. My son watches uh, Kung Fu Panda all the time. Uh, When I just said, I don't know, I sounded like Master Ugwe right now. I'm sorry. Um, None of you know anything about that. That was just my personal moment. I had to say it out loud. Because there is nothing co-eternal with our triune God, God exists independent and absolute. God exists independent and absolute. And absolute God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, listen to this, are self-existent, self-sustaining, independent, absolute, sharing one undivided essence. God has eternally been in need of nothing. He needs nothing and no one to sustain him. Can you... Can you imagine that he needs not we are dependent creatures are we not you and i are dependent on food water rest good health low stress right etc in order to sustain or our lives to be sustained this is how we know existence we are dependent creatures god depends on nothing to be dis- sustained he is independent for all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have enjoyed perfect communion among themselves. In theology, this is called perichoresis. Perichoresis, which literally means this, to go around. To go around. Perichoresis refers to the interconnected, mutual indwelling union of, and communion of the three persons of the Trinity. That they enjoy with one another. Let me read this to you. It's lofty, but this is a sense, and we only can get a sense of it, of the perfect interconnected communion between the Trinity. It is this. The Father eternally generates the Son. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Spirit magnifies the Son. The Son magnifies the Father. The Father pours out His love upon the Son by the Spirit. Everything the Father wills, the Son carries out. And everything the Son carries out, the Spirit brings to completion. The triune God is in need of nothing. They have a mutual union and communion, indwelling and delighting in one another. The three persons of the Trinity are independent. This is all. So that we may know that God does not exist the way that we know existence. Because God is an independent being. And we are completely dependent. Amen. You may have heard of the aseity of God. Ah, uh, uh, meaning a, and then say. Uh, uh, Brother Dozal, he brought up the example that uh, Froghorn Leghorn. Remember, he used to say, I'll say, I'll say, I'll say. Ourty our say being from oneself. our say. He is, I am, that I am, I say. This means that God is free from creation. God does not need creation. Do you know that? He's not tied to creation. He's not dependent upon creation. In theory, this is just in theory. God could delete. Cease creation. And there would be no change in God. In theory, he could delete this all. And there would be no change in God. God will not delete this creation. But he does not need it in order to exist. On the other hand. We do need this creation in order to exist. And we need God, obviously, in order to exist. What does the Bible say? In him, we live and move and have our being. Acts chapter 17, verse 28. But God is the opposite of that. The opposite is true for God. God does not live and move and have his being in creation. God does not need food to survive. God does not need water to stay hydrated. God doesn't even need to be hydrated. He doesn't need sleep or exercise. God is completely independent. And may I say something that may shock you? And God doesn't need you. And God doesn't need me. God is self dependent. He needs nothing and he needs no one. We don't understand that kind of existence. We can't fathom that kind of existence. But guess what? This is encouraging for us. Why? Because God is free. God can freely and genuinely interact with creation without changing himself. Because creation is something different from him. Because he is free from creation. He is therefore free for creation. To act within it. To exist is to have a beginning and to be dependent. But that is not the case for God. But listen to our confession, the second London Baptist confession, chapter two, paragraph two. God, having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of who himself is alone and in is alone and in and unto himself. What? All sufficient in And alone within himself, not standing in need of any creature with which he had made. Nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. The confession essentially says this. That because God is free from creation, he is free to act within creation to the maximum of maximum of who he is as our creator. This should be encouraging, encouraging for us, brothers and sisters. Think about the competition between Elijah and the prophets of Baal in first Kings chapter 18. There was a competition to see who would consume the sacrifice first. And what are the prophets of Baal doing? They're calling out to their God. They're cutting themselves. They are screaming to the top of their lungs so that their God will respond. And what is Elijah saying? Hey, scream a little bit louder. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he went to the bathroom. Hey, guys, maybe he went on a travel on a long journey and he's not going to be back for a while. What is Elijah doing? He's debunking that their God even exists, first of all. But then he's also saying that their God is limited to creaturely limitations. Your God is limited. He's limited by bowel movements. He's limited by distance or distraction. He's limited by creaturely limitations. But God, our God, the God, the only God, is absolutely free and entirely free from creation, which means that he, when he wills to act, there is nothing in all of creation that can stop him or stand in his way. There are no limitations to God, no restraints on God, no boundaries on God, nothing that can corner God into doing something or not doing something. He is free from creation. He is outside of creation as believers, This means that when God promised us that he's going to bring us to glory, he will not be stopped. There will be no obstacles to stand in his way to bring us to where he has promised to bring us. God exists independently as creator. Therefore, we must beware of questioning God's actions. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? What did Paul say about that kind of response when we question God and his actions? Paul says that the creator has the right to interact with his creation any way he wants to. Our God does all things well, does he not? Romans 9, 20. What? Will the molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right to... Over the clay. He can do what he wants. We must be humble before God. This should also bring us comfort. Here's why it should bring us comfort. Listen to this. Because Satan and his angels, they're not divine. Satan and his angels are not divine. They don't pre exist with God. They are part of his creation. They are part of his creation. And God has absolute freedom and power to interact with those fallen creatures as he does power to interact with you and I. They are his creation. Satan is not an equal force with God. Satan is not an equal force. Don't get get, uh, fooled into this yin and yang kind of idea of dualism. That there's just good versus evil. No, there's just God. There is just God. Amen. Does evil exist? Absolutely. Is it equal with God? Not at all. God is working all things together for our good and for his glory. And guess what that includes? That includes the sinful actions of Satan and the sinful actions of man. God is working all things out for his glory, for our good. So what? So trust Him. So trust Him. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. Because God is loving and merciful and good. It is good for us to know that He is in control of all things. We can rest when trials come into this world. When trials come our way. Because we know that God is creator. God is good. And He is working all things out for our good and for His glory. He freely binds himself to creation. Where? In the incarnation. What does Jesus say? For this reason I have come down from heaven. Why? To do the will of the Father. God the Father sends the Son to redeem a people for his own goodwill and pleasure. Consider now this. Consider the the perfect perichoretic communion that 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 intercommunion and union between the father son and spirit consider that consider the trinity outside of creation and consider this consider that he was self-existent self-dependent and in no need of any one or thing and now consider the the condescension The humiliation that is the incarnation. God dwelled within perfect unity within himself in need of no one or no thing. And yet. He chooses to humiliate himself. By becoming. A baby in a manger. In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The one who was eternally in need of no thing or no one condescends, humiliates himself by becoming a baby in a stable. No place to lay his head. Lying amongst donkeys. And farm animals, the creator of all things. And Christ did not abandon his deity for humanity. It was not a, a, a mixed being. He did not merely appear to be human. He was human. The second person of the Trinity, the eternal word became flesh, binding himself to our creation, taking on our flesh. The one who we have just got done speaking about, who is independent, who doesn't need food, water, clothes, sleep, rest. Came in the form of a man so that he might now know what it means to need sleep, rest, food, to know what it means to be angry, to know what it means to be sad and happy. Do you see the wonder in that? Again, we are out of our depths. What a mystery that Mary would nurse and hold in her arms the great I am, the one who made her. That she would hold in her arms. The one who said, let there be light. The one who was the heir of all creation. The one to whom every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. She holds as an infant in her arms. Why? So that he might rescue a rebellious people. So that he might redeem slaves of sin, so that he might call forth a race of Lazarus from the dead and be our substitute, accomplishing what we could never accomplishing, the living, the dying, the rising, the ascending that would bring many sons to glory. And what more can we say, as the old hymn says? What more can we say than already has been said? How great a salvation, ye saints of the Lord. How wonderful. How great. How majestic is the mystery of the existence of God. And understand this well. Understand this. God will never destroy this existence. Why? Because he has promised creation to his son. He has promised creation to his son and his son has fulfilled the father's commands and the spirit has been poured out as a down payment on the recreation of all things, the restoration of all things. All of this, brothers and sisters, all that you see, it's not going down, down, down. No matter what happens with North Korea. No matter what happens with China. No matter what Russia does in the future, no matter what we do, creation is not going down. It's going up. History is a crescendo of eschatology. It is going up. All of this is possible because God is free. He is outside of existence in creation. He has bound himself to creation in the incarnation of his son. So let us rejoice. Oh, we don't understand much. There is much that is going to forever, even when we are in glory with him, be a mystery to us. But what he has made known to us is this. That we can have life in his son that we can turn from our self-righteousness and turn to the perfect righteousness of Christ and trust in Him and Him alone, that by faith we are saved, by grace we are saved, in Christ alone. And if you have not trusted in Christ, though you don't understand much about existence, understand that He has revealed Himself to us in His Son. Trust in His Son. Look to His Son. Young ones, little ones who are here this morning... Turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is much that you won't understand about God, but he has revealed himself to you in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Let us stand.